Okay, Boker Tov. Today's daf is Pezayin, Babakama 87. We pick up on Pevav Amud Bet, and um, about 12 lines from the bottom, it is, the line starts with the word Hamavayish Asuma, and then there's two dots. Okay, we're going on the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah had said that somebody who embarrasses somebody who's naked or blind or asleep, um, that you still have to uh, pay Boshek, your Chayev, but if somebody who is asleep embarrasses, the person is exempt because the person who is asleep didn't have Kavana, and you need to have Kavana to be Chayev and Boshek. Yet. So the Gemara picks up on Hamavayet Asuma, and the way Rashi and Tosas understand, the Gemara is being sensitive to the fact that the only example the second part of the Mishnah had that said somebody was exempt is if they're asleep, which sounds like the other two cases, somebody who's naked and somebody who's blind, who embarrasses somebody would be chayev, and that is pretty implicit in the Mishnah. And the Gemara questions whether everybody agrees to this, obviously naked, but does everybody agree that a blind person who embarrasses um, is Chayev. Let's take a look. Our Mishnah that implies that somebody who is a Suma who does who embarrasses somebody else is Chayev is not like Reb Yehuda. Somebody who is blind has no embarrassment. Now, the simple reading of the Mishnah sounds like maybe Reb Yehuda is saying that you're not Chayev for embarrassing a Suma, and that maybe could be a way of reading with the Gemara, but as the Gemara continues, it sounds clear, and this is both how Rashi and Tosas understand it, that the question is, again, not that anybody is doubting your chayev for embarrassing a summa, but that a summa, whether that summa who embarrasses would be chayev or exempt. So the Mishnah suggests that a summa who embarrasses would be chayev, and Rabbi Hudi here is read to understand that a summa is not chayev for embarrassing. Why not? And Rabbi Huda would similarly exempt a summa from being a lot, from having to go into Gullus if he killed somebody, from getting Malchus if he transgressed lashes, if he transgressed a negative prohibition, and um, from getting Mises Bastin if he transgressed a capital crime. So a, a broad exemption of Asuma, not just from Boches, not just from this civil penalty. So it's clear here that the question is that the Suma who does these things is exempt, which is why the Gemara is reading similarly, or Rashi and Tosas understand similarly, that it's saying the Suma is exempt for embarrassing someone. Let's see what the reason is for Rebbe Yehuda to give this broad-based exemption. My time is Rebbe Yehuda. What's the reason, Rebbe Yehuda? It learns out your eyes, eyes from Edim Zomimim. Okay? Mahasam sumin lo, the same way by Edim Zomimim they can't because they don't have eyes. Right? And there it says, lo tachos enecha, do not, um, you know, have compassion. Your eyes should not have compassion on them, which is interesting. It's talking about your eyes, not the eyes of the witnesses, but somehow that's understood, okay, that link allows us to link to a case of a, of, of, of a, of a boshes, because mahasam sumin lo, avhacha sumin lo. Now, where does it say by boshes? By boshes, it also says, v'katsosas kapal lo necha. So it really says by both of them, lo necha, both, enecha, enecha. Um, that links it, but how do we know that Adim are, are putter if they're blind? Well, because you have to be able to see in order to be an aid. Okay, so it's actually not the enecha by the Adim that tells you you have to see. It's just the reality that somebody can't be an aid who can't see. So we have we have by Boshes, and the same way the whole Parsha of Edim Zomimim only applies to somebody who can see, because that's just the reality of an aid. Similarly, Boshet only applies, the, the obligation of Boshet only applies to somebody who can see. Okay? 
Um, so that's that. Now, so, that, so now, how about everything else on the list? Michai um, ve'galuyos. How do you know to exempt a suma if he if he killed somebody from going into galus? The time you turn on the brisa below raos. If somebody kills, you know, his his a person in the forest without seeing him, prat lesuma diva Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says that excludes a suma because it sounds like you accidentally didn't see him, but you normally you could have seen him. You know, under other circumstances, you would have seen him. So clearly, the parsha is not talking about a suma. Which gives Azuma a blanket exemption from uh, Gullus. Um, even in cases where maybe there was liability and he could be responsible, it winds up being a categorical exemption. It's quite fascinating, right? You could maybe understand a uh, general understanding well, you know, if Azuma can't tell where he's around, he can't be careful about embarrassing people, or maybe accidentally, you know, he would, uh, you know, God forbid, could murder, could, could kill somebody, you wouldn't be aware. Uh, but, but what we have here is not to look at a case by case, but categorical exclusion from that category. Okay, Rabbi Meir, Omer, Rabbi Meir says, Larabah says Asuma. No. Below Raos is meaning even somebody who can't see, that even Asuma is Chayv and Golos. My time with Rabbi Yehuda, what's the reason of Rabbi Yehuda? Meaning, since you could go both ways. First, it says like somebody who's going to chop wood. Larabah says Asuma. That's a That sounds like anybody would have included a blind person. I didn't. I, I start by assuming a blind person is included. Because of Rahman below Raos, and then it says, oh, you you accidentally didn't see the guy coming after you. Lim ute, and that's ex- meaning you could have normally seen him and ex- excluding Asuma. So Asuma is categorically excluded from uh, Golas. Rabbi Meir, Kazarachmana below Raos, Lim ute. No, below Raos sounds, I agree, like it's excluding Asuma. The Kazarachmana bivlidas unawares, limute, and that also sounds like it's somebody that normally would be aware, like it's trying to exclude something. Have a mirachar so that's two exclusions. They mirachar mir, therefore it's coming to include, to include a summa. Now, Tosa's asked, that's a little bizarre, because, you know, if you remove both of these mirs, you just have the default, which it's including a summa. So why did you need the mirs to get back to, to the, you know, to, to the, to the, to, um, you know, to, 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 to where you were starting from? Anyway, Rabbi Yehuda, says is not is not interested in excluding actually Rabbi Meir is not interested in excluding the Ksuma. Rabbi Yehuda, he bivlidas, what does bivlidas come to do? Below Raos excludes the Suma. What does bivlidas come to do? Problem is Kavin Hudaasa, that's the simple point. That it has to be unintentional. If you're intentional, you don't get gullus, you know, that's murder. Okay, fine. So that's how we exclude from Summa. Each one has its own limud, uh, not necessarily categorical according to every single area of halacha, but we'll see, eventually we'll get there. Okay, so now we have both, Adis, not just because it's not pra- possible, excluding from Shava from Boshas and excluding based on below Raos from Golas. Chayvi Misa's based in, how do you know to exclude a, to exclude a Summa who does a capital crime? Asya Rotseach Rotseach, because it says here, you know, by the, uh, by, you know, by, by, by Golas, it speaks about a Rotseach, and Rotseach obviously speaks about in a normal case of a capital crime. Okay, by, it says, Vanus Shama Rotseach, it says by Golas, and by, let's say, a case of somebody who does a, you know, Lotsiku Kaifer Lenefesh Rotseach, it says Rotseach by an actual murderer. So it's coming to exclude, and we understand that that's excluding a summa not just for murder, but from all capital crimes. Okay, Michaive Galuyos. Okay, Malkios. Now, how do you know to exclude a summa from doing something that deserves lashes? Asya Russia, Russia. Michaive Mises Bastin. Ah, because by Mises Bastin, it says, Asher Hu Rasha Lamut. 
and by a Malkus, it's the standard in Bin Hakota Rasha. So the Pasuk Rasha appears by somebody who gets Misa, the birth, and the word Rasha appears by somebody who gets Malkus. So since a Suma can't get Misa, can't get Malkus. Okay, so we are, have a pretty blanket exclusion. And, you know, it sort of seems like he's getting towards what the Gemara did, does by Chelish and Shote, which is because they feel that those people don't have full understanding, you know, either don't think clearly, don't process the, you know, the world clearly, like a, a Shote is a case of mental illness. And um, a Chelish is, they, the Gemara understood because somebody was a deaf mute, couldn't really, didn't have full intellect, and therefore they weren't held reliable and responsible. It sounds like Rehuda sort of moving in that direction, thinking that if somebody can't see, that also means their ability to interact with the world is more limited. Now, that obviously was not the case even in the ancient world, which is why generally, you know, Summa is not excluded, but Rabbi Yehuda is here slowly chipping away at the things that a Summa would be responsible for, okay, um, and certainly not punishable by a court. Um, now, Tanya Edo, we talked about another Brysa, Rabbi Yudomer, Summa ain't lo boshes, starting where we're starting, understand that the Summa does not pay for embarrassing, Okay, now again, again, remember, embarrassing is also because of an issue of kavana, of intentionality. So, so far, if we're excluding boshes and malchus and misus based in, those are all punishments for intentionality, and galus has to do with a certain degree of awareness and negligence. So all those sort of make sense that we're excluding, but... We're going to go on. Top of Pezayin Amad Aleph. Yehuda would exempt him from any type of civil liability. So that's much different than just things that are punishments and related to intentionality. My time with Rebbe Yehuda, what is the you know, scriptural basis? Regarding the case of you know, somebody who uh, gets gullus, you know, that the, 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 uh, the congregation, you know, the Basin will judge between the, um, the one who killed and the, and the redeemer of blood, the one who smote and the redeemer of blood on these laws. So, it, so it's talking about Golos, but it says Mishpatim. Okay, anybody that's in the category of Golos that would be sent to Golos that would be liable by a Goladam, Yeshno um, Mishpatim is also in the category of civil law. But if you're not, you're not in the category of civil law. Okay, so now it's much broader it's not just about punishment and intentionality, totally exempt from any sense of responsibility in civil law. Say, the one area we haven't yesterday yet to get to, so now we've got like Onshim, we've got civil law, the one thing we haven't addressed yet is mitzvos, okay, which we're going to get to. Tanya Idah, we turn another b'risa, Reb Yudah Omer, um, Reb Yudah says, Suma ein lo boshetz, v'chenai Reb Yehuda potro, mikol mitzvos betorah, all mitzvos, all right, so presumably that's distinct, meaning that doesn't include the things that we said before. Those are punishments and civil liability, and here it's a world of mitzvot, and not just the punishment of the courts, courts but like also vis-a-vis God, all right? Um, so which is ex- pretty extreme, you know, and Tosa says, what, he would be like a guy? Like absolutely nothing would apply to him? I mean, so the, um, you know, and Tosa says we're going to presume that that, uh, that Chazal, at least Midura Banan, obligated a summa. That's like a presumption assumption that Tosos has. Okay, but that's a pretty extreme position of Rabbi Yehuda, essentially putting him in the same category as a Cherish and Shota. My time is Rabbi Yehuda. What's the reason of Rabbi Yehuda to exempt him from mitzvos? These are the mitzvos and the law and, and the edicts and the laws. If you're in the civil laws, you're in the mitzvos. And if you're not in civil law, you're not in the mitzvos. 
And now here's a very famous Gemara. Amr of Yosef said, Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef was blind. Originally I used to say, If anybody says that the Allah is like Rav Yehuda, that says the Summa is exempt from mitzvahs, I will make a yantav for the, uh, you know, for the rabbis, for the rabbinic students. My time, because why? That I'm not commanded and I'm doing. So I think, look, I live a fully halachic life and uh, I think how much greater it will be if I'm doing it even without being obligated. All right, so I'm doing, but, and he was blind. Um, uh, but now, this teaching of Rabbi Chanina, greater is one who is commanded and does from one who's not commanded and does. So you get actually more scar by doing it if you're commanded. So the one who says Allah is not like Rabbi Yehuda, I'll make a yantav, because then I will be doing it out of a real sense of obligation. My time, why? Because if I'm commanded, easily I have more reward. Okay, so fascinating idea that A, Asuma should be almost blanket exempt. Tosu says it couldn't be totally exempt. There's other Gemaras anyway that make it clear that Asuma could do certain things in terms of Kriyashima and Davening and so on. So he says at least it would be rabbinically obligated, but could be at least a Raisa exempt, okay, which is still pretty shocking, you know, a categorical. And then the idea here that Eina Mitzvah Osa or Mitzvah Osa, which is greater. So in terms of the reason why Eina, you know, Mitzvah Osa is greater, there's two basic reasons that are given. Rashi tends to give the reason that psychologically, you know, it's 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 harder to do something if you're obligated. Um, you, you're always looking for an out. You know, you feel much better about yourself. Oh, look at me, I'm volunteering and I don't have to. So there's more like of a yetzer hara if you're obligated. The other reason is more theological. You know, that if um, that if God commanded some people to do it and didn't command other, presumably it's more ruts on Hashem. You know, that the people that are com- that 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 you're doing something that God commanded. If you're doing something that God didn't. Demand, Demand, then that's, you know, that's not as much as the lichatchila ratzon Hashem. God had wanted that as much, as much of a lichatchila, God would have commanded it. So there is, you know, so it might be an ideal thing and a nice thing, but it's not as fundamental to God's will if it's not commanded. So that's a different way of looking at it. Um, and, you know, it's very interesting that how this plays out and questions about, you know, about women's issues, because the assumption was that Rabbi Yehuda, even whether he was or wasn't example, was making brachos. So from that thing, we Rishonei Ashkenaz understand that women who are not obligated can still make the bracha of a Kiddushan Kiddushan Mitzvah Ivana when they're doing mitzvos, just as presumably um, just as presumably Rav Yosef um, was doing. Okay, so uh, just a uh, okay. So now, th- th- so that's the end of the idea of Asuma. Now we take on the next Mishnah. Bashur. This is more stringent by a man than by an ox. A human who damages, injures another human being will pay all of these five standard payments that we've been dealing with in this parak. Um, and if a human being caused a miscarriage, pay for the, for the uh, uh, money assessment that's made, uh, assigned to the fetuses. And an ox that gores a human only pays damage, not the pain and suffering and the loss of work and all of that. And also if it causes a woman miscarriage, interestingly, does not pay for that. So, okay, not, that's sort of things we've said before. Now we're going to get on to a whole a interesting thing about um, if somebody hits his mother and father, which is an Easter in the Torah that you're Chayv Misa, but you hit but did not make a wound, 
um, and actually like draw blood, okay, then that's not actually Chayv Misa. Or similarly, um, uh, if somebody did make a wound, but it was on Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur is Chayv Kares and not Chayv Misa, Chayev Bakulan, you have to pay for damages because you don't say Kimli Bidrabamine because there was no Chayev Misa, even though there was a Chayev Kares. Now, somebody who injures an Evet Ivri, you know, or wounds an Evet Ivri, has to pay all five payments. An Evet Ivri is, you know, he, the, the master has rights to his labor, but fundamentally, you know, he treated as an equal Jew, so you have to pay all five payments. And but one thing you don't have to pay is the fact that he's not uh, doing, that he's out of work while he's recuperating. Why do you not have to pay that? If it's your Evet Ivri. So if it's your you pay for damages. You, you know, he, he broke his arm. And like, God forbid, he lost his arm. That's a permanent loss. You pay for the, that's Nezek. You pay for the pain. Tsar, you pay for the embarrassment. You pay for the doctor's bill. The one thing you don't pay for, if it's your Evid Ivry, is the time he's out of work. Because that's you losing money. Because you have the right to it. But if it's somebody else's Evid Ivry, then you pay the time out of work, but you pay it to the master. Because the master is the one that had the right to the labor. Now, if somebody damages a, uh, a wounds a non-Jewish slave of others, uh, not your own non-Jewish slave, which is considered to be a, a non-Jewish slave, is considered to be fully property, not just the rights to the labor, chayev bekulan. Then you have to pay all of them, but presumably you pay to the master because the master owns this person and therefore gets all the damages that are going towards you know for that person. Of course, the one question you know is about um, how about uh, um, uh, you know doctor's bill, presumably. Uh, um, you would eat, if you're going to pay the masters for the doctor's bill, the master has to make sure that the slave gets healed, or you pay that directly to the slave. Tosos has a whole discussion about that, about the doctor's bill. But interestingly, even though the slave suffered permanent loss and pain and suffering and all of that, because the master owned him, owns him, he's entitled to all of those payments. But the important question, or the remaining question is, you know, does the master still have to ensure that he gets, that he gets healed, that he takes him to the doctor? Rabbi Huda Omer ain't lavadim boshes, and here is a different another rebuke about boshes. But here it means avadim do not collect boshet. Now you could sort of say it's maybe they don't get embarrassed, but well, why don't you assess that based on case by case? You know, so the Gemara is actually going to say another categorical exclusion for Rabbi Huda by slaves they don't collect payment for boshet. Um, uh, okay, ra. Now, if you bump into a cheresot or katan, that's going to be bad business. Why? Because if you wind up doing injury to them, you have to pay. That we sort of said before. It doesn't matter. Cheresot or katan. They all, you know, can have suffering and doctor's bill and embarrassment and so on. But if they damage others, they're exempt because they're not liable for their actions. Similarly, although a little different, it's bad to bump into, meaning like to have a type of violent encounter with a woman or a slave. Um, why? Or a slave here being an Evid Kanani. If you do injury to them, you're Chayev, obviously. But they that damage others are exempt, not because they're not liable, but because they don't have any money. The woman's property is basically, you know, she might have some property in her title, but her husband has rights to it, and basically, you know, the husband basically controls the finances. The slave doesn't have any property of his own. Um, 
Okay, so therefore, they're exempt. Um, th- therefore, it's bad to bump into them, but they're not really fully exempt. As We're fully exempt. Here, it's just, there's nothing to collect. They will have to pay, you know, possibly in the future. Once a woman is divorced and gets her own property, the evidence is freed, then they are liable to pay for their damages. Going back to a case we taught earlier where we would say a little different and we will say Kim um, you, you know, it's sort of like this is a little chiastic structure, whatever, or maybe it's ABC, ABC. Okay. If somebody uh, injures his father or mother and actually makes a wound or wounds somebody on Shabbos and draws blood, in those cases it's Chayav Misa, so you're exempt because of Kim and so we're not reviewing the case of Evid Ivri. We sort of suggested both cases before, but the Evid Knani. So when you damage somebody else's Evid Knani, you're chayv and everything. When you damage your own Evid Knani, since you own him, you're putter in all payments. Again, interesting question about um, about what do you call it? About the hospital bill. Okay, let's take a look at the Gemara. By me, Rabbi Eliezer, my Rav. Rabbi Eliezer asked Rav. Um, if somebody does an injury, you know, physical injury to the uh, minor daughter of another man, who collects the payments? All right. So, uh, what's the question? Do we say that since the Torah normally gives the father rights to the benefits of the daughter when she is underage, that includes Chavala? Now, my time, because he made her work, his, you know, he de- made her value less. Now she's damaged property. Uh, obviously, it's very harsh to think about these realities altogether. Or do we say, No, the Torah gives him the benefits of her being, uh, you know, as a young, underage girl. What does that mean? What is the rights he has as a father? He has, he can, you know, sell her as a slave, or he can marry her off. And he can marry off even to somebody who's completely disgusting and, you know, covered with boils and blisters. That's really horrific for her. But maybe the guy's offering him a lot of money. That's the rights that he has. But maybe it's limited to that. Now, that's pretty bad for her. But maybe that just because he has the right to do that doesn't mean that he has all rights to her. But because there, so when it comes to things that money he could make by exerting the power he has, like marrying her off and demanding a good, you know, a high amount, that he's entitled to. He's entitled to money based on the power that he can actually exercise. Okay? Aval, chavala, but when it comes to injury, but he doesn't have a right to damage her. So, so therefore, he doesn't get the rights if somebody else damages her. How do we understand the rights that the father has in his daughter? What are the rights he has? The basic rights in the Torah, you know, are he can sell her off as a slave and he can marry her off. So he can get money for her. So, and there's a pasuk that says, then one Gemara is interpreted, like Rashi quotes that Gemara, you know, is interpreted, maybe this is a broad statement that he's entitled to any benefit that arrives from her. But that's what the Gemara is asking. Is it really any benefit? 
Or is it only the things that are a function of the power he has? Benefit he can get by selling her as a slave or wearing her off, that's benefit he gets. Other benefits, not. Now, Tosas introduces the idea, you know, that this idea of kol shvach neurim from the Pasuk is really, doesn't really include anything else. And the possibility that the father would get more than just those things of selling her as a slave or marrying her off, you know, like if she um, goes ahead and, I don't know, finds an object that it goes to the father, other types of things, that would only be and we would allow the father to get certain benefits so there shouldn't be, he shouldn't get angry at her and then do something mean like marry her off to some disgusting person. So for Tosos, a lot of this question is at the rabbinic level. You know, did the rabbis, the same way they said that if the girl finds a lost object, you know, she, 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 she gets something that it goes to the father, they did that so that there shouldn't be bad ill will between them, did they also say that about, you know, payment for injury? So Tosos understands it as a rabbinic question, as a question, Durabana, did we apply that to injury? But the Gemara sounds like it's a little more fundamental. Is this conceptually in the category of what are the things that the Torah gave him rights to? Only those things that are, he has power over or more broad-based? So let's see what the Gemara's answer is. Amrleh, so this was, who asked this to? Rabbi Elazar asked Rav. So Rav said back to Rabbi Elazar, Amrleh, lo zichsa Torah l'ava l'shvach ne'urim bevad. The Torah only gave, uh, only gave the father normal shvach ne'urim, meaning he did not give him chavala. So gave him the money for, se- for, for selling her and the money for marrying her, but did not give him chavala. That is, and you understand that, you know, she, it's her own body, it's her own person. I mean, okay, he can sell her as a slave, but that only is till she's, you know, an adult and he can marry her off, but still writes to her own body, you know, what happens to her own body makes sense that at a fundamental level, that would remain hers. Ace I'll ask you on this. If somebody damages uh, an Evid Ivri, um, he has to pay everything because an Evid Ivri is his own person. It's just that his labor is owned by the master. The only thing you don't have to pay is the guy being out of work because if it's your Evid Ivri, since it's your Evid Ivri, you're losing out by him being out of work. So therefore, you wouldn't have to pay that. If it's somebody else's Evid Ivri, you would pay Sheves to the master because that's the person losing the work. But all the other payments go to the Evid Ivri. Okay? So that basically sounds like, and basically what the Gemara is saying is, you know, give me a break. The daughter is not going, excuse me, let me say that again. The Gemara is saying is, so look, here, you know, the, the um, so here the Evid Ivri, if, if it's your Evid Ivri, you're entitled to the Shevet payment. That's clear, right? The master is entitled to the Shevet payment because the master is losing out on the work. So the Gemara is saying, why did you say that if somebody damages a person's daughter, that all of it goes to the daughter? Here we see a distinction between most of the payments and Shevet. Shevet should still go to the person who has rights to the labor. And therefore, since the father can sell her off as a slave, you know, that, that her, he is the one that has rights to her labor. So there Therefore, he should get that payment, just like the master of the Evadivri gets the payment of Shevis. Amar Abayis, Abayis says, fine, we weren't talking about that. That narrow strip of, number one, to all the basic payments, Nezek, Tsar, Ripoy, Boshes, all that goes to the girl. What does the father have rights to? He could sell her off as a slave and her labor would go to that master until she became, you know, a, 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 a Bogaret or until she became, you know, 12 and a half years or, you know. So therefore, 
So if she's, let's say, nine years old, he could sell her off as a slave, and the next three years of her labor, three and a half years of her labor, would go to her master. That's what the father has rights to. So if somebody injured this girl, any labor lost for the next three and a half years, the sheves of that period, that goes to the master. Any more labor lost, that's going to go to the girl. Fine, we concede. For the issue of her labor, for that period of time, that the payment is to the father, otherwise it's to the girl herself. Okay, Ace Now I'll ask you on this. We have a bright Somebody actually injures his adult son. You've got to pay him. You know, he's an adult. He's a person. It doesn't matter to your son. You've got to pay him the damages. If it's a minor son, so you owe him the money, but if you, if you pay him right now, you know, he might squander it. So basically put it in a trust, you know, make it something, a treasure. We'll see exactly what that is. Okay, you got to pay the money, but make it something that will be for his benefit. Um, so we're not going to pay attention to that right now. Somebody who, dan- who, who, who injures his minor daughter, Potter is exempt. Not only that, if somebody else damaged the daughter, they have to pay the father. So that sounds pretty clear, right, that the father has rights to all of the payment that would come from the injury to the daughter. If he does it, he doesn't have to pay because it's all his. And if somebody else does it, they have to pay him. So that sounds like the father has blanket rights to all payments relating to the daughter. So the Gemara, for injury, so the Gemara says, Hachinami b'shevet. So the Gemara really, like, you know, reinterprets this in an extremely narrow way and says, no, all we're talking here about is about the ma'asayadayim, is about the labor, and even that, the labor only until she becomes a bogeret. Okay, so even though it says he's exempt and other people pay him when it's about the daughter, really, I mean, it's pretty amazing what the Gemara is saying is, don't think that everything of the daughter goes to the father. Things that are about the daughter herself being hurt and injured, she gets those payments. The idea of, you know, the father not having to pay or other people paying the father is only for the labor, only for Shevis. Okay, now we're going to go look at the first part of this Brita about the adult son. It um, injures your adult son, you pay immediately. Raminu, I'll ask you on this. If somebody injured the sons and daughters of another person, um, if they're adults, pay them right away. You know, if they're minors, you put them in some type of a trust. We'll see about that. His own sons and daughters, putter, you're exempt. Now that's crazy. You know, daughters, we had a whole conversation. Father has rights over his minor daughter. But here it says, whether adults and whether minors, your own children, you're exempt. How could you be exempt for your own children? So Amri, lo, oh, so, so the answer, lo kasher, it's not difficult. It depends whether he is supporting them or not. Okay? If he is supporting them, then when he injures them, he is exempt. Now, that's a little strange. Just because he's supporting them and, you know, they eat on his table, meaning he pays for their food bill, maybe he also lets them live in his house, that means that if he actually breaks their arm, he's totally exempt? What sense does that make? So, you know, Tosos has a whole discussion about this, but in one place, Tosos says that this whole Gemara is talking, like the earlier thing said, only about Shevet, 
only about the loss of work. That of course, even if they're smuchmal shulchano, you know, just because he feeds them doesn't mean he doesn't have to pay them for their pain and suffering and embarrassment. But because he is feeding them, the normal exchange for him supporting them, according to the Gemara, is that people, the kids that the father is supporting, whether adults or minors, he's entitled to their labor. Ah, he's entitled to their labor. We're talking about Shevet. Forget everything else. We're just talking about Shevet. He's entitled to their labor. So therefore, if, he, if they're, he's supporting him, he damages them, he's exempt. Okay? And the earlier Brightus said he's Chayev when he, was, he wasn't supporting them and he wasn't entitled to their labor. So again, one way Toso says it, which we're going to go by because it makes the most sense, is that, of course, all the injuries for his sons, his daughters, you know, he's Chayev, other people are Chayev, the whole thing. The only conversation here is about the Shevet, is about the, the labor. So for his daughter, he has rights to the labor, and for his sons, one says chayev, one says patr, and it depends on whether he is supporting them or not supporting them, whether he has rights to the labor. And if he has rights to the labor, then there's no payment, uh, then he doesn't have to pay sheves. Okay, let's keep on going. Um, uh, what did you say the first case was saying when it says that, you know, um, he has to pay for, you know, when he injures his kids? When they're not, you know, they're not relying on his table. He's not supporting them. Okay. Um, uh, if that's true, let's look at the end. Um, if he, if he injures his daughter, he's exempt. Other people injure her, they're chayev. Um, to give to her father. So the Gemara says, One minute. If he's not feeding them, okay, then, now remember, we're talking about Shevet. So what this is basically saying is, is that the father's not feeding his kids, but by his daughter, he still has right to her, to her earnings, and therefore to her labor. And there, so, because underage daughter, he has rights to her labor, even if he's not feeding them. So therefore, you know, other people have to pay him Shevet, and he's exempt from Shevet, because he still has rights to their earning. But the Gemara is going to say, but one minute, I don't understand. If he's not feeding his daughter, she has rights to her own earnings. Why is that true? Let's take a look. Um, uh... He should pay her. Why? To buy Mizone. Because he had because he has an obligation to feed her. And he's not feeding her. The, I'm, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. To buy Mizone, she needs food. Okay? If he's not supporting her, she now has rights to her own earnings, even a minor daughter, because how else is she gonna feed herself? Even according to the opinion that says, by an Evid Knani, you can say, you don't, the, father, the, the master has no obligation to feed his Evid Knani and can demand labor and refuse to feed him. That's a whole sugya. We learned that, but that's, we're not getting into that now. But even if you could say that by an Evid Knani, fine, that's by an Evid Knani. Work for me the whole day. And at night, go, you know, go not. Knock on doors, don't try to collect money, you're on your, you're on your own. So by Nevit Kanani, maybe that's tolerable that you can say he can go ahead and earn for himself at night. Aval, Evit Ivri, but if it were an Evit Ivri and your daughter is no worse than an Evit Ivri, Dechsev, Kitov Loimach, it has to be good with you and you have to be equal. with you for food, with you for drink. Lo, then you can't tell your slave, I, you have to work and I'm not going to feed you. So Koshkein Bito, certainly his daughter. So how, what we're saying is if he's not feeding his daughter, 
he, he cannot keep her labor. She has the right to her own labor to feed herself. Okay, so if that's true, he cannot say, you know, he cannot demand that the labor goes to him and he not feed her. If he, not fee- if he doesn't feed her, she keeps her own labor. So if in the Brighta that says the father is, enti- you know, is, uh, has to pay when he injures his children because he's not feeding them, so he's not entitled to their masa yadayim, so why isn't that also true about the daughter? Why is the underage daughter any different? Even an underage daughter, if he's not feeding them, is entitled to her own labor. So the Gemara says, um, Like Rava, the son of Ravula, says in a different case, we're only talking about the extra labor beyond what she needs to feed herself. Here too, we're only talking about the extra labor. What does that mean? Let's say this, you know, young woman is uh, brilliant and, uh, you know, she's an influencer and she makes $100,000 as a 10-year-old girl. Um, and, uh, you know, and her food bill is only $10,000. So if the father says, I'm not feeding you, so fine. The first $10,000 she gets to keep for herself for her own food. But beyond that, the father has rights to the remaining 90000 Okay, so that still remains to the father. So if it is his adult daughter or his sons there, if he's not feeding them, he has, you know, no rights to their labor. None. But by his daughter, his underage daughter, if he's not feeding her, she has rights to feed herself. But anything more goes to him. And the Shevet, for that, he wouldn't pay if he injured her. And other people who injured her would pay him. Because he still is entitled to her labor. Because the Torah fundamentally entitled the, the father to his underage daughter's labor, minus the food costs. And therefore, even if he's not supporting her, that is going to go to him. That Shevet. Okay. Uh, now, the Gemara says like this, Basraisa. what did you say the second case was talking about when, um, when, he's, uh, when even by his sons, he's entitled to the Shevet, okay, because he's entitled to the labor, um, when he is supporting them. So if it is... Um, um, so if other people injured, so if he injures his children and he's supporting them, he doesn't pay them because he's entitled to their, to their labor. Okay, that part made sense. He doesn't pay them because he's supporting them. He's entitled to their labor. He doesn't pay for Shevet. But it says when other people injure them, then, then, then actually they do collect. Whether they, if they're adults, it goes into their pocket. If it's minors, it goes into some, um, you know, some trust. But why is that? If he's supporting them, he gets their masayadayim. So if he's going to get their masayadayim, if somebody injured them, he should get their sheves. Why are they getting their sheves? Am I? Why is that? You, have to, you should be giving it to the father, right? If he's supporting them, he should be collecting the sheves if other people injure them. I mean, no, you can say, when is the father, you know, upset, like, or demands, you know, is going to be stingy, essentially, if he has to put his hand in his own pocket? If he injured his kids, okay, he's not going to want to pay out of his pocket for their Sheves. Again, I'm reading this only about Sheves. It's possible to read this much broader, but I'm going to go, like, tell this only by Sheves. Okay? He's not going to want to pay for their Sheves out of their own pocket, since anyway he's entitled to their labor. But when it's something that's coming from outside, you know, because they were injured and it's not, and it's, it's something that, you know, is not him losing money, but they're getting from someone else, 
even though he's entitled to their labor, you know what, they got injured, he'll let them keep this money, he'll let them keep the Shevet. So that Shevet can go to them, even though he would be entitled to their labor. Okay? So the Gemara says, one minute the Gemara says, that's not always true. If he's supporting them, the idea we know that he gets the labor, right? we know also, for example, if he's supporting them and they find, you know, a lost uh, $100 bill and, you know, they don't have to return it, no siman, we, it goes to him. That's free money from the outside. Why does he get their mitzia, but he doesn't get their payment for Shevis? So the Gemara says, no. Amri, Something that they get from outside and they're the, the, the kids themselves are not suffering. You found $100. Give it to me. I support you. Give me, what, give me, you know, give me the, the, the mitzia that you found. That, we say, happens. Of a chavala, but injury, they're suffering, their bodies are pain. And it's not him paying money, but it's money coming from the outside. He's not, he doesn't demand it, and they can get it. So what are we saying? We're saying, when it comes, if he doesn't support his kids, they're entitled to their earnings. So if they get damaged, they collect the sheves. He damages them, he pays them the sheves. The daughter... He, um, you know, even if, if he's not supporting her, he's still entitled to her earnings minus the money for her own food bill. So therefore, he doesn't pay Shevis to the daughter and other people pay Shevis to him. That's when he's not supporting them. When he is supporting them, he's entitled to, if they find lost objects, he's entitled to their Masa Yadayim because he's supporting them. That's the trade-off that sort of Chazal set up. Therefore, if he injures them, he doesn't pay Shevis because he'd be entitled to their Masa Yadayim. If they earn money, it goes to him. If they find a metzia, it goes to him. But if they get injured, the Shevis payment, even though logically it would go with him, there he feels, look, you got injured, you keep the money. And it's coming from the outside. It's not him putting his hand in his pocket. There they could keep the money. Okay. Um, where are it? Okay, so now, you know, let's just finish up this this. Once. I, I actually have to correct something. I was, I, I was uh, conflating, actually, the Masia Dayim of the daughter, where the daughter is entitled, where, where the father actually does get the labor and the Eved Ivri, to the case of, you know, other children, the adult daughter or the sons or whatever, that are Somchim al Shulchano. In the case of, of other children, it's not that their earnings are to the father, but, they're, but they're mit, the mitzia is to their father. Okay, and that helps understand, explains why, you know, they would get to keep the payments for their Shevis. Because even though sometimes stuff that money that they get and windfalls that they get, you know, not their earnings through their labor, but windfalls that they get when they're Somchim al Shulchano goes to the father, okay? Nevertheless, you know, um, here, you know, b- besides that it's Sarad Gufa, it's also money that they would have gotten for their labor. So actually, I, uh, I um, uh, you know, uh, conflated those two. But nevertheless, the point of the Gemara is, is that when they're Somchim al Shulchano, okay, therefore, because he supports them, um, they're, normally, you know, he would get their mitzias and there would be a certain reciprocity. And because there would be that reciprocity, if he injured them, he would not pay them sheves. Um, but if other people injured them, they would get to keep it for themselves because ultimately it is a windfall and it is something that they are tsara de gufa. Okay, so let's just finish this up in the Gemara. Um, okay, so the Gemara says like this. The... Um, 
but isn't there vahasam? But isn't there another taste? Isla tsara de gufa that there is that, that they do suffer. Their body is injured. My alma and it is a windfall. They copied, and he is insistent that it go to him. Diktani, what's the case? When other people injure her, they have to give to the father. Why doesn't he let her? You know, keep the sheves. Okay, she's injured. You know, it's it's windfall from the outside. So the Gemara says, Ami no hasam de Remember that case about people paying for the daughter. That was a case of not somchnal shulchano. shulchano. He's not even supporting his daughter in that case. Okay. Um, Therefore, even when it's a windfall, he's and it's from the outside, he's going to want it. Here, he's not a stingy person. He supports his kids. In that case, when, is he, when does he demand that it go to him? If it's his putting his money in, hand in his pocket, not when it comes from the outside. So let's review all of that, okay? So the first case is not he doesn't support them. Therefore, everybody's on their own. So by the adult daughter and by the sons, um, you know, they're their own people. If he injures them, he pays them full. If other people injure them, they pay them full. Um, by his daughter, um, even though he's not supporting her, he's still entitled to her earnings beyond the money that he has to pay for her food bills. So therefore, uh, because he's entitled to his earnings, if he injures her, he um, does not pay Shevet because he owns that. And if other people injure her, they do pay him, they do pay him the Shevet because, you know, even though it's money from the outside and even though she's, suff- she's suffering, okay, nevertheless, this guy's a stingy guy. He doesn't support his kids. That money is fundamentally his. He gets to keep it. In that case also, by the way, it makes sense. Besides this, is he mockpit or not mockpit? Because again, there he really is entitled to her earnings. So therefore he gets to keep the chefs. When it's a case of and there's a certain reciprocity. So in that case, if he injures his kids, then he doesn't have to put his hands in his pocket for Shevet. If other people injure them, then because they themselves suffer and it's a windfall from the outside, even though he supports them, in that case, he lets them the money, he wants them to keep the money. Okay, last line about this. The Gemara says like this, my segula, what is this uh, trust that you put the money in when the kids are getting paid underage? Rav Chizam or Sefer Torah. Sefer Torah, like, a, you know, maybe that's something that retains its values and it's something that, you know, is holy and they can learn from and Torah and they're, you know, so it, uh, it's something that will pay off both religiously and hopefully be also a good financial investment. Rabbi Barafuna, Rabbi Barafuna has a more practical suggestion. Dikla da'achumine tamri. It's a, palm tree that they can eat the, you know, dates from. You basically put it in a CD, you get a good rate of return, you maintain the principal, and they're earning money. Okay, so we will stop, we will end there for, uh, for today.